When we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, God adopts us into His family. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Well, good morning. I hope that worship touched your heart like it did mine. We have so much to be thankful for. Last week, I spoke to you on faith is seeing Jesus clearly. And when we see Jesus clearly, then it makes a change in our life because he makes a change in our life through his Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want to take you to one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, where it talks about living in Christ's power and living with Christ's people. You know, in Scripture, one of the beautiful pictures of our salvation is the picture of adoption. The Bible says in several different places that we are adopted into the family of God. Now, when I was growing up, I always thought adoption was cool, but I don't think I really understood adoption. I had two cousins that we were around all the time. Both of them were adopted. One thing I did understand is that their position in their family was no different than my position in my family, and their responsibilities in their family were no different than my responsibilities in my family. As far as I was concerned, we were equals. But then, as an adult, I've had two of my closest friends that adopted two kids. And they love their kids just like I love my kids. In fact, there is no difference. It's easy for me to forget their kids are adopted because they parent just like we parent. They give just like we give. They love just like we love. And in fact, as an adult, I've come to understand that this picture of adoption is a picture for us of how gracious God's heart is to us. That when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, God adopts us into his family. He gives us all the privileges and all the position of his son, But he also gives us some responsibilities to live out. In Ephesians 1.5, the Bible says he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter 3.18, the Bible says, For Christ also died once for sin, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And so that beautiful picture is that we're a part of, of God's family now. And this incredible verse gives us a picture of God's family. I want to read just first verses 19 through 21 to you because it completes this picture of our salvation. It says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, if you read the first verses of Hebrews chapter 10, you would find that he went back and described the whole system of sacrifice that kept people right for God in the Old Testament the sacrifice of animals, the sprinkling of blood, this whole system. And what he's summarizing, you know, therefore, he's saying, Because 
Christ paid the one sacrifice once for all, for all our sin. We don't need a priest to go to God anymore because Jesus Christ is our priest before God. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and Jesus Christ gives us full access to God because he is God himself. And so he just summarizes that when Jesus died on the cross, it gave us a permanent solution for our sin when we accept Jesus Christ. And when we invite Christ into our life to forgive us our sins, we become a part of God's family. But as becoming a part of God's family, we also pick up some responsibilities within God's family, don't we? And there are three great responsibilities here that we see in these verses. One of these is maintaining devotion to God. One is building spiritual consistency in our life. And one is watching over each other. And I want us to take just a few minutes today and walk through this passage together and see what our responsibilities are as members of the family of God. In Hebrews 10, 22, we find the first of these responsibilities. It says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, think about the song that we just sang. The song that said, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. You know, when God's presence invades our heart, when our life is full before him, when the Holy Spirit is in control of our life, then the presence of God meets every need in our life, fulfills every desire of our life, and guides us through every problem in our life. He is all we need. The problem is, is that we get away from that, don't we? Sometimes we get outside of God's will. Sometimes we break down in our devotion to our Holy Father. You see, we need to make sure on a daily basis that we maintain our devotion to God. If we don't draw near to God, the option is, is that we drift away from God. And honestly, most of us never intend to do that. Drifting away from God usually is the cumulative effect of a lot of small decisions where we just didn't pay attention on a daily basis to God and to his direction in our life. And so he calls upon us first to have a sincere faith, a faith that is genuine, a faith that is pure, a faith that is blameless. Faith is seeing Jesus clearly, we said last week. A genuine faith looks in the face of Jesus, and in the faith of Jesus, that faith finds all that it needs. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 4.29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him when you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. You know, God wants to be found by you more than you want to find him. God cares more about your faith than you care about expressing your faith. And the key to finding faith in God is to seek him with a blameless heart. That means one that has turned away from the worries, the cares, the sin, the trials, and the testings of this world and turned his face fully upon Jesus to look at him and to seek his presence. 
You know, when we come together on Sunday morning to worship, when we come together to praise the Lord and to seek His presence and to hear from His Word, it should be an extension of the way that we've been living our life the rest of the week. If you don't worship the Lord Monday through Saturday, you got to get your heart right before you can worship the Lord on Sunday morning. We need to come prepared with a full heart to worship our God because with a sincere faith, we've been seeking Him each part of every day all through the week, and we've been letting Him have full and complete control in our life. So we seek Him with a sincere faith, sincere heart, and then it says in full assurance of faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And God wants us to come to Him with a sincere faith. He wants us to come to Him with a faith that believes that He is all I need and that in Him I have the solution for any problem or the strength to walk through that problem because He is walking with me. That's what it means to have full assurance of faith. It means that I know that my God is bigger than anything that I can ever face in life and that He is adequate for anything that I go through in life. In full assurance of faith. And then He says, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I think that draws a picture of living in full cleansing before God. You know, if you read the early parts of Hebrews chapter 10, it's talking about the Old Testament sacrifice, and the priests would wash their hands so they would be pure, and then there was the blood of the animals that was forgiveness of sin. The picture is, is that we need to live with a clean heart before God, and the problem is that we're always sinning, Right? You know, I get up in the morning with great intentions. I open God's Word. I want to walk with Him, but then something happens, and I step outside of His will. I say a careless word. I snap at somebody. You've been there. You know what it's like. So what do we do? How do we maintain a clean heart? Well, it's through confession of sin as soon as I'm aware of sin. You know, the way we really live in this life under the control of the Holy Spirit is to continually be sensitive to the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God reminds us that we're outside the path of God, to say, God, forgive me. One of my friends used to describe it like getting onto an old buckboard. Some of you know what that looks like. A couple of horses. And then when he sat down in the buckboard, he sits down beside Jesus and he hands him the reins and he says, you drive today. And he says, it goes pretty good for a while. And then all of a sudden I jerk the reins out of his hand and I can take it from here. And I realize I'm driving. I'm making the decisions. I'm in charge. And as soon as I realize that, he says, no, Lord, you know the way better than I am. I'm going to give control back to you. We do that by 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the secret to maintaining devotion to God is to start with some time in his word every day. Turn your life anew over to Him every day. Put Him in charge of every decision in your life every day. And then every time during that day you realize you've stepped outside of His will, 
Give the control back over to him. Ask for forgiveness of sin. He will restore you. He will renew you. And you can live with the spirit in control. You know, I wish that somehow we could get to this magic place where we didn't have to go through that process, but that's part of being human, isn't it? That's part of the process of sanctification, learning to live like Jesus wants me to live. Someday there will be glorification when Jesus will make me like him, and I'll be in his presence and I won't have those problems. But until then, I'm called, just as Jesus said here, to let us draw near, let us maintain our devotion to God. The second thing he tells us in verse 23 is to let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. This talks about building spiritual consistency in our life about becoming the kind of people that we need to be. And he says, to hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, hope is a word I absolutely love, but it doesn't mean in Scripture what people in America today mean when they say hope. The word hope today is kind of a wishy-washy little word. It means uh, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. It's what I really desire. The scriptural word hope is a word of certainty and sureness based on the promise of God. When the word hope is used in scripture, it is something that you can take to the bank. You can absolutely count on it because it's based on the character and promises of God through the word of God for our life. And when he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, he's saying, let us hang on to that which can hold us. Let us hang on to that which can help us. Let us hang on to that which can guide us through this life. It's God's plan for our life, God's promises, and God's hope for our life. Oh, that we would learn to hold on to hope. In Romans, the Bible says this, 5.13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, once you get that hope in your life, then you're ready to move on to the second part of this verse, which says, without wavering. Uh, do you have trouble being steady in life sometimes? Do you get wishy-washy about your faith? Do you sometimes question what's going on in your life? Do you sometimes wonder if God really understands, if God really is in control? Does God really know what's going on in my life? Well, hope is banking on the promises of God, and when you see the faithfulness of God through the Word of God, that hope that holds your heart begins to let you live without wavering. Have you ever known a great saint of God that it just doesn't seem like anything happens in their life except that they turn to the Lord and say, I trust Him? God's given me some great spiritual mentors that were like that. They just don't waver in life, but it's because they have built their life on this foundation of hope in the Word of God. And then this verse ends by saying, for he who promised is what? Faithful. Do you realize that 99.9% .9 faithful is unfaithful? 
When we say he's a faithful man, we're cutting him a little bit of slack, aren't we? Because none of us is faithful. Faithful is 100% of the time. And when we say God is faithful, that means God can always be trusted. God never makes a mistake. God always knows the path. God's decisions are always right and just. We can totally trust God with everything in our life. Isn't that cool? But it's hard on a human level to understand the faithfulness of God. So let us build spiritual consistency. And then lastly, in verse 24, he says, And let us consider, verse 24 and 25, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as is the habit of some. So now he points us to devotion to God. He points us to standing fast in hope. And then he turns us to watching over each other, to caring for each other. Some versions for this word provoke, use the word, or for the word stimulate, use the word provoke. To push. And God wants us to care for each other. To stimulate or to provoke or to watch over means to gently push. And sometimes it means to walk alongside and help. One of my precious memories when my daughter was little bitty and I was walking her back to her room one night when she got out of bed and the hall was dark and I reached down and took her hand and she said, thank you. Daddy, for holding my hand. I'll never forget that little thing, but it gave me such a picture that when I'm walking through the dark place of life, God holds my hand, and he holds your hand. But sometimes we have to push our kids from behind a little bit, don't we? We have to encourage them to do the right thing, not just walk alongside with them. And this idea of stimulating one another to love and good works carries that idea. Sometimes we have to encourage or push or provoke each other to do the right thing, to walk with God. And God wants us to understand that we are our brother's keepers. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, the Bible says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his brother. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And then goes on a couple of verses later and says, A cord of three strands is not easily broken. God knows that we need each other. And the only way we will stay steadfast in devotion to God, the only way we'll stand in hope is as we watch over each other and help each other do this. Encouragement is a big part of this process. And he says we encourage or we stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Now, if you kind of look... These passages have taken you through three key words found in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and now love. 
In Hebrews 6.10, the Bible says, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end. So we stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, And do not lose heart in doing good. For in due time you shall reap if you do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those of the household of faith. And then this verse that says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. God knows we're better in community. In Acts 2.42, one of the first pictures given of the early church was they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we really need each other. And we need to come together as the family of God. Now, these are challenging times for us. In normal times, church consists of worship, it consists of small groups, and it consists of personal discipleship as we walk alongside and encourage each other. <clears throat> and perhaps in a time like this, it calls for a new creativity from the body of Christ. Because you see, you don't always have to be physically present to be together. I do some coaching and for months now, my coaching has all been by Zoom. Had I rather be in person? Absolutely, I'd rather be in person. But I have built a strong relationship with a man that I have never met in person. Because the body of Christ has the Spirit of God, and through the Spirit of God, we can build a relationship that transcends physical presence. Now, I believe our ideal is to be together with God in the company of other believers like those of you that are in the auditorium but those of you that have chosen to join us online this morning are just as much a part of the family of God and the same spirit of God that is present here is present in your home and is present in your life and we are all one in the body of Christ but you know we need to go the extra mile we need to write cards and notes of encouragement. We need to pick up the phone and call people. We can use the technology of FaceTime or Facebook Messenger or Zoom, and we can at least see facial expression as we talk to each other. And if there was ever a time when the body of Christ needs to care for each other, and where the body of Christ had the opportunity to share the gospel with people that need the gospel, it's in a time like this in our society, and perhaps God has allowed this to happen so that we can be bold and so that we can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ by sharing with those who are in need. And so God has said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. What is encouragement? I've got a simple definition. 
Encouragement is allowing God to use my life to touch another life with his love at their point of need. Now, let me ask you, do I have to know what their need is to do that? I don't. That's the neat thing. All I have to do is live with open hands and an open heart and say, God, use me in the lives of other people. And if I'm living that kind of life, God will bring me in touch with people who need something that he can use me to provide. Encouragement is allowing God to use me to touch another with his love at their point of need. Truth is, is a lot of times you will never know how God used you or even that he used you. But if you live with a life devoted to him, if you live standing in his hope, and if you live with the idea that we're responsible to watch over each other, God will use you to touch each other. And then this beautiful phrase that draws this to a close. He says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's talking about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the day when Jesus comes back and when he gathers his saints for the promised eternal life in heaven. And he's saying, you just keep living this way. Live in devotion to me. Pay attention to hope. Watch over other people. And as you anticipate God's coming, Christ's coming, do it more and more. I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning. There's several ways he might have spoken to you, but I can say this. If you know Christ, your future is full of hope. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your future is full of danger and darkness and punishment. And we need so desperately to carry the light of Jesus Christ into a dark and dying world. Perhaps this morning you've heard nothing else other than Jesus is what I need. And perhaps this morning you'd like to invite Jesus Christ into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. There's a place on the card where you can make on the decision cards or you can email us ministry at pcbc.tv and tell us that I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And we'd love to talk with you about that decision and help you make it. Perhaps you've realized today that you're trying to do life alone and you need a company of believers, a company of people who will love you and care for you to walk through life with you. And perhaps you'd like to join Putnam City Baptist Church. Just email us or check that box on the card and one of our pastors will follow up with you and share with you what it means to be a part of a great church family like we have. And perhaps there's some other need in your life today and you need to talk to a pastor or you have a prayer request. You can place that on the card or you can email it in to us. But whatever you do, make sure that if the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning, you respond to him. We never make a mistake when we respond to the call of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your goodness. 
Thank you for this encouragement from your word. And thank you for being all we need in life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.